the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The Nick D Podcast. I'm your host, Nick DeGilio. Welcome to the Nick D Podcast. Drops uh, two times a week here at the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, the greatest podcast network on the planet. You can hear it at radiomisfits.com. You can hear it all over the place. It drops on every platform everywhere. So please subscribe and like and pass it along and share and all that cool stuff. I'm Nick DeGilio, your host. It is episode number 191. And it is a Friday. It's the first Friday in November, um, uh, technically, uh, and uh, Friday, November 3rd today, to be exact. November 3rd being Godzilla Day. Yes, today is it's Godzilla Day, officially Godzilla Day. And uh, a lot of Godzilla fans enjoy the entire month of November as being Godzilla Month. So if you're a Godzilla fan, and, and I don't understand if you're not, and I feel sorry for you if you don't understand the genius and the love of Godzilla, um, happy Godzilla Day. Uh, Godzilla Day is November 3rd because uh, November 3rd, 1954 is with the release date of the original Godzilla, the Japanese uh, version, the Japanese release date of the original Godzilla. And the entire world changed and the world of cinema got better because of Godzilla. So happy Godzilla Day. Wonderful we'll discuss. I think we will discuss Godzilla Day with Amy Guth. Uh, Amy Guth is my guest. Uh, always love to talk to Amy Guth, the lovely Amy Guth. Um, you can hear her on a daily podcast called The Daily Gist with Crane's Business, Crane's Chicago Business. Uh, Amy and I used to work at the car wash together, that, uh, that place that used to be a good radio station but is now an embarrassment to the world. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we used to work together there. And uh, Amy's awesome. She makes movies. She's in L.A. working on movies and all kinds of projects happening and living a very cool life. And just talking with Amy Guth is a lovely experience. And we're going to talk with Amy Guth. And we'll talk about Godzilla Day with her, I think. Uh, Esmeralda Leon uh, is going to join me as well. Um, we've got a lot of uh, celebrity rumors to catch up on. We've, uh, we, we talk a little bit about them. Now we're going to dive in to some crazy celebrity rumors and some other stuff as well. So the great Esmeralda Leon is going to join me, the lovely Amy Guth is my guest, live from L.A., talking about all the cool stuff that's happening in her life as well as the Daily Gist podcast that she hosts. And you can check out her website at amyguth.com. So those are the lovely ladies who are going to be joining me on this episode of the Nick D Podcast. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. I know you do, baby. She's a lovely lady, and she joins me on every single episode. Lives on my back Hi, porch. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. Carrie Russell's wearing a uh, Godzilla t-shirt today, so that's very exciting. Anyway... Uh, so I, I hope you have a lovely Godzilla day. Uh, it is November and, uh, you know, uh, I gotta say, I felt here in Chicago, I hope your Halloween went well. We had a lovely Halloween episode, man. Spectacular Halloween episode, uh, episode 190. Go back to an episode previous to this and make sure that you check it out and listen to it. Cause Josh Robert Thompson, 
from The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson. He was the voice and the operator and the brains behind Jeffrey Peterson, the gay robot skeleton sidekick to Craig Ferguson, and also in a great voice actor and a funny guy and a horror fanatic and a horror movie expert. We did a deep dive and had an extraordinarily fun and awesome and fantastic Halloween conversation about horror movies, and that was on the last podcast episode. So you need to go back. If you've not heard it, episode 190 is the Halloween Spooktacular where Esmeralda and I talk about her favorite horror movies and some scary stuff. And then the great, the brilliant Josh Robert Thompson and I discuss horror movies. Uh, Fantastic. One of my favorite interviews, and he's amazing. But yeah, if you missed the Halloween episode, uh, you got to check it out. And speaking of Halloween, man, it was the worst Halloween weather-wise here in Chicago that I remember in years. It's always a little scary around Halloween, no pun intended, in terms of weather. Because, you know, we live in Chicago. And uh, you never know exactly what the weather's going to be. But, man, it was like 15 degrees. It was like 20 degrees out. It was snowing. We got accumulation of snow. Like, it was crazy. It snowed giant, big flakes. It was like January. It wasn't like, you know, October 31st. It was like January 31st. If there is a 31st in January. But it was. It was horrible. And I felt bad for the kids, all the kids who, you know, were very excited about their costumes. They all had to wear giant winter coats. That happens a lot in Chicago. But, man, this was... This was the worst in terms of like winter, terrible slush, snow, freezing. It was miserable. It was unbelievably cold and miserable and just depressing for Halloween. Uh, and and, it, and that, that's happened. I mean, I've lived through, you know, 58 Halloweens now. And, you know, it's in Chicago. You're going to get crappy weather. It's going to be cold. It's going to be nasty every once in a while. But I'm telling you, this past Halloween, 2023 in Chicago, was one of the worst in terms of weather. Oh, my God. So, but it was fun anyway. Lots of candy. People were ever going out, and it was fun and whatever. But man, the weather was miserable. So, I hope you had a lovely Halloween. I hope you had a lovely costume, and I know that you'll be eating the candy for the next couple of weeks. So, a great Halloween! Make sure you check out episode one ninety with Josh Robert Thompson. And now uh, we're going to be talking with uh, with uh, the lovely Amy Guth um, uh, <laughs> on this episode of the Nick D Podcast. Make sure you check out uh, our podcast on every level here. You want to be a sponsor? You can. You can be a sponsor. You know, a lot of people listen to this podcast. Really, a lot of people do. It would uh, be great if you advertise with us. Lots of people. You'll reach them. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. Say, I want to advertise on the Nick D Podcast. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. You just want to leave a voicemail? It's open 24-7. It's there for you. That's the voicemail message. We want to hear from you 24-7. Anytime you want to call us, please do. We listen to every single voicemail that comes in. We play some of them on the podcast as well. So leave that voicemail message anytime you want. 773-417-6948. Call now. Drop us an email 24-7. NickDPodcast at gmail.com. That'll get to this podcast and my other podcast, which is a Saturday Night Live podcast called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. I don't believe that statement, by the way. That's a bunch of crap, and that's why I called the SNL podcast that. But you should check that out, too. Jason Skaggs does all the music and the sounds and the themes for both podcasts. Ed and everybody at RadioMisfits.com make it all possible. Make sure you rate and review us on every single platform and check us out everywhere. So be a part of the podcast by leaving a voicemail or an email, or you want to be a sponsor, do that as well. All that cool stuff is happening, and uh, let's get to Amy Guth. But you know what's really amazing and really awesome that you should definitely check out? This. Hey there. Are you tired of that same old, the same old stories? Well, buckle up, because Brian Alaspas devoured. Yeah, that's right. Brian Alaspas devoured 
is about to take you on a wild ride. St. Louis is teetering on the edge with riots, unrest, and the mayor's downright stubborn insistence that the 4th of July must go on. But don't tell that to public safety manager Logan Field. He's got problems bigger than the most overcooked barbecue. With a deadly attack, a missing boy, and mysterious events that make your Aunt Sally's ghost stories look like a fairy tale, something sinister is brewing in the city. Logan's at his wit's end. The only help he can find is a struggling hunter and a professor who's a whiz with ancient evils. It sounds like the start of a bad joke, right? But there's nothing funny about what's awakening in St. Louis. So join the race against time as this unlikely trio faces down an evil as old as time itself. Think your commute's tough? Try saving a city from being, you guessed it, devoured. Brian Alaspa's Devoured will have you laughing and gasping and frantically flipping pages. So grab some popcorn, turn down those lights, and dive into a world where saving the city just might be the craziest 4th of July ever, and trust us, it's more exciting than a sparkler, and the only thing that might get burned is the midnight oil as you read till dawn. Brian Alaspa's Devoured. Thrilling, chilling, and the perfect way to spice up your summer. It's available now in paperback for Kindle exclusively through Amazon.com. Brian Alaspa's Devoured. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D Podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jagoff. That's right. I hear that song uh, 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 in my head, and every time, as we always mention, Amy, glow sticks, uh, yeah, Molly, you know the whole the whole, <laughs> the whole thing. I don't know about the Molly thing. I haven't done drugs in a very very long time, but, but uh, same. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hi, Amy Guth. How are you? Hello, I'm well, thanks. I, I don't you like being introduced and saying, "Hey, everybody, take Molly." Here's Amy Guth. Uh, <laughs> Okay, but you know what? So you mentioned like the 90s, you know, style or, yeah. you know, the little rave style and all that. Yeah. Um, I was in the grocery store on Halloween and there was a young lady on the phone and she had like a sublime sweatshirt and Doc Martens <laughs> oh, and yeah. a bunch of uh, like dark eye makeup. And she was on the phone and she was like, I'm just going as like the 90s or whatever. <laughs> Uh, now I'm disappointed that it was a costume. I really wanted it to be. A, I wanted her to actually like exist in the real world. Like, Here's the thing: like if she hadn't have said that, I would not have realized it was a costume. I just yeah. been like, oh, that's just her. Now, but then once I knew it was a costume, I was like, oh, Angel Bear, you also need a tiny little lime green purse that's <laughs> satin, and you need a choker, and you need to do your hair in space buns. There you I go. Demand that of you. She was not wearing a choker. No. Oh, no. big negative right there. Yeah. That's a big, those are some points that are knocked off that costume. You got to work. Yeah. Pers- personally, I think women should wear chokers all the time, but that's just me. That's I just think chokers pers- are awesome. Oh I think they're God. so cool looking. Yeah. Yeah. If I had my druthers, I would just, I would wear like a Victorian cameo choker every day because they're so cool. <laughs> I agree. 
I agree. I think there's something. This is Amy Guth, uh, and uh, Amy is a, a, a journalist, a, a podcaster, uh, a writer, a producer, a director, uh, all kinds of uh, stuff. And you can hear her. Uh, uh, Crane's Chicago Business has a uh, podcast called Daily Gist. Before we jump into what we're going to be talking about and all the stuff that you've been doing and out in L.A. and so on and so forth, tell everybody about Daily Gist and how they can hear it. So Crane's Daily Gist is exactly that. It's like, here are the business stories that you need today in Chicago business, in the business world. Um, I usually interview a reporter every day and, you know, grab four to five stories of just kind of here's some top business stories for you to think about. But we're hitting a milestone. Like as we speak right now, as we are recording this, Nick, mm. we are coming up on our three millionth download. Holy shit. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm really wow. psyched for it. Yeah. That's and you know... It all started with with the folks at Cranes came to me in 2019 and they're like, we have this idea. We want to try this. And and it was, I was like, yeah, let's do an experiment. Let's see if we can bring people, you know, a summary of what's happening in the business world uh, every day in podcast form and get a podcast out every day. Let's try that. And here we are. Three, Three million downloads million later. Since 2019. Those are good numbers, Amy. Thank you. I wouldn't have known those numbers except I'm learning. <laughs> right now you do now i'm like oh well this, yes i can understand this that's really good good for you good for everybody thank involved you. and of thank course you, you work with one of my favorite people in the world on that podcast as well mr todd manley todd manley he's my partner in crime every day on that and i'm so thankful that it's him right that that he and i get yeah. to work together every day because yeah. we not only have we worked together so long that we kind of have like shorthand and almost yep. communicate telepathically at this point yep. but yep. you know we we both know kind of like how to get a show out really well and how to you know, help each other win every day. And, and I, I just love working with him. He's great. Yeah. He's a rare, he's a rare commodity in the, in the, uh, in the, in the broadcast business. Uh, totally. Because he's a good guy. <laughs> so, uh, that, that's it. So there you go. Well, okay. Everybody should check that out. Uh, the uh, Cranes Daily Gist podcast. Um, and uh, you've got a, a, a website as well where people can see you're all connected there too. That's amyguth.com. But you've been out in LA. Yeah. for a while are you are you still i mean um what what's the plan are you gonna just like actually just live there now is that is that what's gonna happen <laughs> i mean i'm still in an airbnb so yeah i'm still like unofficially here um i don't know i mean at this point i was like well i i can't really leave until i actually accomplish something here so <laughs> Yeah. So I got to have something to show for this time, but I don't know. And that's okay. You know, right now it's totally fine with me that it's all up in the air. I, uh, relinquished my place in Chicago, so it's okay to live in an Airbnb. I'm portable in that way right now, which is, which is kind of fun, right? I've always, uh, been a planner and I've always, uh, kind of had it all figured out and, and always done that kind of thing. And right now I'm like, you know what? I want to leave it open. I want, I want to be just kind of free to let, uh, let myself be available for where I need to be, you know? So if yeah. it ends up being here, I get that. Also like real hard to argue with, like when I'm seeing all y'all posting snow pictures on Halloween and it was 81 here. So, yeah, yeah. you know, that's a little Miserable tough. Halloween. Miserable, yeah. Amy. It, miserable. I went to uh, the music box that evening, Halloween evening, to go see uh, Ginger Snaps. And I don't know if that's a movie that you've ever seen. Have hmm. you ever seen Ginger Snaps? I don't know. I got to Google it real quick. Okay. It's an allegory about menstruation, and um, uh, it's about a teenage girl who gets her first period, and that makes her turn into a werewolf. Um, oh. It's pretty fucking great, and it's pretty accurate. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, that seems like a movie I would have seen. That seems very up my alley. It, absolutely. That's why I'm kind of surprised. And, I'm, and, and if you haven't seen it, you should, because it's pretty great. And they had a 35-millimeter print at the music box, and that was their closing night, uh, you know, 
every night in October, the Music Box did this thing called The Bride of the Music Box of Horrors, mm. where every night in October, they showed at least one horror movie, sometimes two. Um, and that was their closing night movie, was, was Ginger Snaps. Um, I love that. Yeah, it was great. And so, but, I, but I ventured out, and it was ridiculous. I mean, it was, I felt like I was, uh, you know, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant. I thought a goddamn grizzly bear was going to come out and throw my ass around <laughs> uh, as I was walking down Southport. I was like, is there, okay, this is, it was horrible. It was one of the worst, and we've had a lot of, here in Chicago, you know this. It's, you know, the end of October is a shitty time of year. You never know what you're going to get, weather-wise. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've lived through and as a kid had to put up with a lot of really shitty weathered Halloweens. But man, I got to tell you, this last one last week was maybe the worst I've ever seen. It was unbelievable. It was horrible. It was like January. Oof. Nope. Yeah. So, but anyway, so it was, 80, it was 85 where you were. That's good. That's good. 81. You know. 81. Okay. Let's hey, not get carried away. Speaking of, before we jump into it, speaking of, uh, you know, as you mentioned, like uh, particular looks and chokers and things like that, like past 90s and eight maybe late 80s looks have you yeah. seen yet um on the netflix and I, and I don't i think it's on i think it's out on netflix now it was in theaters for a little while david fincher's new movie the killer i haven't but i marked it okay. to watch it well i thought it sucked but that's just me and it's the fir- it's actually the fir- it's the it's the only david fincher movie that i actively dislike <laughs> I, i'm not i'm not sure why but i know that there's now are you have you read about it are you are you yeah, familiar yeah. with so yeah. you're familiar with what he listens to because this is date. Um, Michael Fassbender plays a uh, a contract killer, you know, who is hired to murder people mm-hmm. and to prepare himself for the murder when he gets all ready and does yoga and, and is at the location scouting the person he's going to kill before he shoots them or kills them or whatever. Do you know what he listens to obsessively? Tell me, Morrissey. He <laughs> listens- I thought of you immediately <laughs> because I'll tell you what, when you watch the movie, Amy, and I'm not exaggerating, you probably hear during the course of two hours, you probably hear about 14 uh, 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 Smith songs or more. Wow. Yeah, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. The every scene where he's preparing for a murder or preparing to do something, he puts his earbuds in and there's a goddamn Morrissey song. on. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought of you immediately. So. There's another another reason maybe you should watch that movie is because there's a ton of Morrissey in it. So, I'm here for that. I'm here for that. Even though you know it's more and more complicated to be a Morrissey fan because I know. I know. he's a douche. He's he a douche. Is. But like also true is that I grew up in North Central Texas and being a teenager there uh, and a weirdo and a goth kid uh, that doesn't go well. But suddenly, like I was hearing the Smiths and like oh. Yeah. Okay, this is speaking to me. So I was, yep. it was a lifeline at the time. So like both things can be true. He's a douche now and yep. I don't think I want to hang out with him. But also his music at the time was very helpful to me. And it meant a lot to you. Yeah, there's nothing yeah, wrong with that. That's why, that's why I bring it up. So when, if you watch yeah. The Killer, um, prepare yourself. There's a lot of Morrissey in it. <laughs> I love it. I'm here yeah. for it. Okay. But also I have such a, ooh, I, I don't know. I, I, David Fincher is a very talented director he is very good at what he does. I disagree with his philosophy of the multi-takes. Like he has this idea yeah, that like yeah, yeah, yeah. the more takes you do, the more stripped back the performance, the more real it becomes. And yeah. I just don't think that's, I don't know that I agree with that. Cause I think I, you, your actors and your crew start to feel frustrated and feel like 
they're not winning. They're not doing their best and, work. And yeah, and, and this of course is coming from you who work on movies and and um, you know you. Well, I'm you, no David Fincher, but I got right. opinions. But you know, but also that's another thing I think Fincher. A lot of filmmakers who are of a certain age who were inspired by certain other filmmakers. I think they take that from Kubrick because Kubrick was famously yeah. known for that and like drove Shelley Duvall literally insane yep. uh, because of The Shining and all the shit that he did to her. Um, and so, but that's, but I'm, I agree with you. Like the, on, on the polar opposite end, uh, there's a guy like Clint Eastwood, who I think is a phenomenal filmmaker. Yeah. Um, he's another guy who might be a, a you know, you know, a, a guy that I really loved when I was younger. And now I look at it and he's talking to an empty chair to Obama at the Republican yeah. convention. I'm like, fuck off Clint, but I love him very, very much. <laughs> and I love his movies. And that's the thing. Like you feel, you know, you feel like, oh, Morrissey's a douche. Uh, Clint's, Clint's a, a grumpy old, you know, right wing loony. Um, but I still love his movies. Yeah, we can um, say both things can be true. Exactly. I love his art and I love his movies and all that cool stuff. But uh, yeah. otherwise, hey, shut up, Clint. Uh, so anyway, yeah. um, but he is the polar opposite. Like he's the guy mm-hmm. who does one take, doom, we're done. We're done. And he's like, um, we're done. Uh, and he never says action because he's in the reason why it's like, why don't you say action when you, you know, because all directors go action. And he's like, because it startles the horses. <laughs> That's <why. laughs> That's his reason because he worked on so many westerns, and he was always nice. pissed. He'd be he'd be on a horse. The director would yell action. The horse would go nuts, and he'd be like, "Why do you have to yell that?" You know. So ever since then, he's like, "It startles the horse." That's his excuse for not yelling action. But I remember. I, wonder, when, I would love ahead. to speak with people that have worked, like uh, uh, editors that have worked with Clint Eastwood, because there is a specific <laughs> yeah. order of stuff. The reason you call action, it's like. Roll sound, sound right, speed, right. rolling, action. It, it's, you're syncing up stuff so that the yeah. editor doesn't want to murder you later. He works with the same crew almost all the time. I mean, some of them are dead because he's like 110. So, awesome. um, but you know, like I think he's gone through a couple of DPs and maybe a couple of editors. But people work with him. He works with the same team all the time, so they're used to you know what he does. But also, like another thing is like editors. Editors love, as you know, this other options. You know. Mm-hmm. Like, nah, we got one take, we got two takes, and this you got to use this. You know what I mean? So it's like, God damn, man, you're not giving me anything to work, to work with. Oh, yeah. So, and it's uh, such a, like a terrible feeling when you're trying to as- make your assembly cut, and yeah. you're like, I really hate how that looks. I need another shot, right. and you don't have it. Don't have it. Or you're like, damn it, the, you know, the crew's reflected in the window over there. Right. Shit, I didn't catch that at the time, and you don't have a way to fix it. Then you got to right. come up with money to like – get a composite person to take it out or something like I, that. Then it's I remember when, uh, the story that I remember when Clint was directing um, Mystic River. Again, a fucking great movie. Uh, when Clint was directing Mystic River and the two guys in the scene were also directors because, you know, it was, it was Tim Robbins and, and Sean Penn were in the scene. And yeah. both of those guys are accomplished directors. They're accomplished filmmakers. They've made great movies. And so they're there and they're having this conversation and it, they're in like a diner. And uh, there's coffee uh, on the table and coffee, you know, and, and coffee cups and stuff on the table. Um, and, the, and uh, you know, as you know, uh, Mystic River, very happy movie. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yes. <laughs> and at one point it gets a little intense between Sean Penn and Tim Robbins. And uh, one of them, probably Sean Penn, bangs on the, on the table. And they're in the middle of a take. They're in the middle of a conversation. Bangs on the table and the coffee cup flips over and spills. And so... Uh, Tim Robbins, like, uh, like they look at each other and then they kind of look at the camera and they they wait for cut to be called, and they're like, you know, uh, what what you know, and and they they finish the scene but they wait for cut to be called and then they look at the camera and they're like, what? And Clint never called cut and he goes finally he goes cut, 
And then they're like, why didn't you call cut? And and he's like, "Uh, well, because it was very, you guys were doing a really, you guys were doing great. And he's like, yeah, but I knocked over the call. And, and, uh, and, you know, for continuity reasons, Sean Penn says, yeah, but I knocked over the coffee. And Clint just goes, coffee spills. And that's it. That's all he said. We're moving on. We're moving on. (laughs) And that's the take in the movie. The take in the movie is the coffee spilling. He's like, it happens. Who gives a shit? That's fascinating. Yeah. You know yeah. what took me out of that movie? That, I, I liked that movie fine, but um, Laura Linney, who I like fine, that mm. accent, oof. Yeah, I, you know, that's the thing, is the, the accents in that movie in general, I think, would piss off a lot of people, especially if you're from Boston, because I think a lot of people were like, what the fuck are these people mm-hmm. doing? <laughs> what are these people And Laura Linney, you're right. But I loved her in it because she's doing Lady Macbeth, and I was like, mm-hmm. God damn, she's good, you know. But yeah, yeah. The, accent was, the accent was distracting, to say the least, but you're right. But anyway, so I thought, you know, like, um, instead of being like David Fincher, be more like Clint Eastwood. Be old and crazy. So that... <laughs> So anyway, but you should watch The Killer because there's a lot of Morrissey. That was the point of bringing it up. Yeah, I, I will. I will. I'm writing that on my list. Okay. All right. Now today, by the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but today is Godzilla Day. Um, yeah, November 3rd is Godzilla Day. This does not, this does not uh, really uh, affect women uh, mostly because I will say <laughs> this. Um, I was at a screening the other night of One Night Only. Fathom Events did this screening to honor you know, Godzilla. They re-released in a you know beautiful DCP um, presentation, Godzilla uh, 2000. And okay. it was a one night only. Uh, and I went to the theater and there were about 20 of us in the theater, all men, all alone. <laughs> that was the- Interesting. <laughs> Except there were a couple of buddies, a couple of guys that would snicker, you know, like, hey. but it was mostly sure. just, it was middle-aged dudes and we were all by ourselves. It was funny because um, I texted my girlfriend afterwards and I was like, yeah, there's nothing but guys there. And she's like, aw, <laughs> that's adorable you know it was i got Uh-oh. that kind of condescending uh stuff but so does god does godzilla affect you at all did you watch godzilla when you were growing up anything at all like that um i definitely watched it growing up i yeah. definitely remember it being on tv and i remember a lot of cool you know cool old movies being on tv all the time yeah. uh when i was growing up yeah. but i don't i don't know that i feel a way about it um um i'm yeah like i don't yeah you know i mean i i understand it as symbolism but like political symbolism and what it is and yeah but i'm no, i fascinating that there's a godzilla day no there is it's and like i said it's mostly guys just we walk around yeah man it's godzilla day you know who's a big godzilla fan and who i bonded with who by the way was at that screening at a different theater because it was in a bunch of different theaters who uh, Tom Hush. <laughs> I know you're probably shocked by that. Of course, <laughs> of course, you saw Tom Hush when Tom when Tom was producing my radio show at the car wash. I don't know. Uh, there were a couple of nights when we would come in and we would both have like a Godzilla shirt on, like we'd walk in with Godzilla <laughs> t-shirts on, and not the same shirts. Like we'd walk in and go, oh, and then like about a month later, I'd walk in with a different Godzilla shirt on, and he'd walk in with a different Godzilla. This, these, this, that's the kind of dorkness, dorkiness that we have. On that level. So, but anyway, for those who celebrate, it's Godzilla Day. <laughs> Nothing happened. No parades in LA for Godzilla Day? I'm surprised. No parades in LA. I'm curious though, why? I wonder why that is that more women don't connect with that movie. 
It's it's in, well, not just that movie. There are like a hundred of them. But well, but, sure, sure. You know, but the kaiju, the whole kaiju thing is more. It's more. It's little boys. We all played with Godzillas when we were. You know what I mean? Mm. And I know that. I, I don't want to generalize because I'm sure a lot of little girls did, and I'm sure a lot of girls love sure. Godzilla. But the majority of people who love Godzilla, it, that starts when you're a little boy. Like I, I started watching Godzilla probably at the age of four or five, and it became. And I think a lot of kids. A lot of little boys grow up watching Godzilla. Like the majority of the people that I know who love Godzilla have penises. That's that's just that's just how it works. If there's so. a Venn diagram, people with penises, people <laughs> who love Godzilla. <laughs> that's what we need. Yeah. So it's a anyway, circle. well, happy Godzilla. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Well, happy Godzilla Day. So happy Godzilla Day. Okay, but now I do wonder though if. If there's something, I mean, I'm sure, right, that there's something to be said for the kind of horror movie you connect with and what you perceive as scary in the world, right? Because the women, like, I, I know for me, the stuff that's scary is is like a, a terrible individual after you. Mm-hmm. And it, like the male serial killer, like a terrible dude doing something horrible to people. That That's a real scary thing I can actually comprehend. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of women that I know, like that like horror, tend to gravitate to more realism in yeah. there, right? Yeah. Because that's a, that's a threat we can perceive as socialized from an early time in our lives. Like men will do terrible things to women sometimes. Whereas maybe if you grow up male, then you're not thinking of other dudes being threats to you. You're True. thinking of like, I need a whole ass monster taken yeah. out of Tokyo to be scary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, <laughs> I think so. Basically, like when when little girls watch Godzilla, they're like, "Yeah, this is nothing." I got Timmy sitting next to me in class. He's a jaguar. Yeah, you know, what? Like, like, no, no, I, no. I got. I you. can take a dinosaur. Psh, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> I can't take the little asshole sitting next to me in right. in, in homeroom. Yeah. <laughs> but then this asshole is criticizing my body, and I'm only eight. Fuck you, right. man. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Godzilla right. will never criticize your body. All the things that he does. Godzilla will never say, you know, you should cut back on the food. He would never say that. But Godzilla's not a body shamer. No, because look at him. He's... <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, well, anyway, happy Godzilla Day. So uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, all right, now the Elvis movie that you that you uh, made, yeah. which you're awaiting premieres and you're, you're, you're uh, as we've talked about, we're following the progress of it. Mm-hmm, uh, for mm-hmm. people who might not know, very quickly, sum up what the, what the Elvis movie is about and, uh, and you're taking it to festivals and stuff. Yes. So the Elvis movie is, it was written by Pam Mandel, who is my regular creative collaborator and friend. And there's a very loud race car outside underscoring this point. Um, (laughs) And uh, so she's a very accomplished award-winning travel writer. And the Elvis movie is uh, Elvis of the Yukon. And it's, it's a story that she actually lived. It was a road trip she went on and she met this Elvis impersonator who I have since Googled this particular Elvis impersonator. And turns out he's kind of a notorious con man, but that's, that's not the, the really, the really? Piece of story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's a really interesting guy. Um, and, uh, and, and there's a lot of like interesting footnotes to her story that, that are not in the film, but it's just kind of a, you know, finding yourself sort of road trip story. And it's a, uh, we, we laugh a lot because we're like, how did, no, you know, she's like me and, and like the same kind of vocabulary that I have. Right. So I was like, there's not even one swear word in it. No one's smoking or drinking or doing drugs. There's no sex in it. There's no swearing. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> but nonetheless, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, how did we end up with such a wholesome movie? But uh, nonetheless, it is uh, I have submitted it to to a lot of film festivals because, you know, there's a strategy to film festivals. You want to first try to secure the most 
uh, visible or prestigious type of uh, or influential premier festival that you can. Mm -hmm. And then you work on your regional premiere. So that's what, you know, that's what I'm kind of waiting on right now. Um, you know, Sundance decisions yeah. don't come out until December 4th. So that's, uh, I'm not, not that I'm pacing yeah, and month, yeah. Yeah, yeah, not that I'm pacing and refreshing, refreshing my email every day or anything. Well, the next, the next time we speak and, uh, you know, we're already talking about your next visit. We're not even halfway through with this one. Um, but, but, um, we will definitely have maybe a little bit of news because it'll be closer to the end of the year. So maybe, uh, yeah, that's right. We'll so maybe I'll know like where the premiere will be, the world premiere, and then maybe I'll know a couple of city premieres. Awesome. And that'll be, that'll be fun and cool. Well, I've been, I've been, I've, I've loved following this since the very beginning. I've been, uh, you know, I've been, I've been tracking this and we've been talking about it since the very beginning pre-production, uh, all yeah. the way through. So it'll be fun to actually see this come to fruition when it comes out and when people see it. And I can't wait to see it myself. I'm very excited. I'm, I'm psyched for it to be out in the world. Yeah. It'll be fun. And I put on Instagram this week, uh, kind of a, a little carousel post of some of my greatest costume moments i loved it by the way and loved thank it. you and the i went and picked up the elvis costume um the actor charles p gay who was so awesome who played elvis and just a lovely person uh he's based in seattle and um uh i went and picked up the costume and i like had it in my care for 24 hours before i you know had him put it on and, and start being elvis and i'm just like i can't not put no, this costume not. on so i had to you know so i put this um and the reason I, I thought of it, because I, you know, I had his measurements and then took them to the, the costumer. And I was like, oh, he and I are the same height. Hmm. Mm, there you Interesting. Go. So this might fit me. Yeah. <laughs> I put it well, on. It was you look fabulous. very fun. You look fabulous. Thank you. It's, a, it's uh, an empowering thing. I think I'm going to enter my jumpsuit era soon. <laughs> now, I have to tell you, um, the uh, today is also, not, in addition to Godzilla Day, is also the day that uh, Sofia Coppola's latest film, Priscilla, opens mm. which is based on the book by priscilla presley elvis and me yeah um and uh that's since it's elvis i thought i'd bring it up and uh amy it's a must see it is okay. like 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 the majority of sofia coppola movies it's pretty yes. fucking great um i love her i love sofia coppola yeah me too um, yeah and this movie is uh it's pretty amazing and it is such a breath of fresh air after sitting through that fucking Baz Luhrmann movie from last year, which I just <laughs> hated every fucking frame of that movie so much. And it was such horseshit. And then this thing comes out and it's like, see, this is how you make a movie about mm. that era and about that time. And, and not really about, I mean, it's Elvis is in it, a major part of it. Sure. But, but you see, that's how you do it. But I really would be very interested to see what you think of it. Cause it's, 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 it's great. It's really I'll watch great. it. Yeah, I'll watch it. So. I always have like a, a special place in my heart for Elvis. My parents um, went to high school in Memphis and met there. And my dad, uh, he tells the story of like next to what is now Graceland used to just be like some random houses. And he knew somebody like one of the kids in one of the houses and they'd, you know, be screwing around in the backyard. And they like when Elvis first moved in, they would like try to, you know, chuck rocks at him because it was more <laughs> casual then. You know, yeah. they didn't. Yeah. It wasn't like celebrity status now where you have yeah. like security yeah. and all that, you know, eventually it got there, but early on it wasn't like that. And he was yeah. just sort of like the local musician guy at first, you know? And, and, and so I've, that, I feel like I've a, grown up always hearing about Elvis. That's at the, uh, that's, that's, that's cool that you, that, uh, your parents, your parents went to school in Memphis. That's, that's awesome. But that, mm -hmm. that's also reflected in the movie because the production design is fantastic. And the way that they show, um, Graceland in the film, 
uh, obviously, it's completely different. That area is completely different now than it was back oh, then, yeah. as you mentioned. Yeah. And there's, it's very rural, and there's not a whole lot around it. There are just you know few things yeah. here and there. And uh, you know, at first, I had to be a because I've been to Graceland several times, and and yeah. and it and it takes it took me a couple of minutes to go. Oh yeah, it wasn't like that then. <laughs> yeah. Well, wait a minute, the gate doesn't look like that. And then I was like, oh sure, it does. It doesn't now. Now. But back in right. those, yeah. So. But and you know uh, that's even kind of recent. Like my grandmother. Well, my grandparents and aunts and uncles, like a lot of relatives, are buried not far from Graceland. Mm. And every time, <clears throat> excuse me, every time I've gone through there, I've you know stopped and paid yeah. my respects and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And w- I remember at my grandmother's funeral in the late '80s, it was still pretty rural there. Yeah. And yeah. now, like the last time I went through, it's been a few years, but the last time I went through, I was like, oh, it's lots of dollar stores now and lots yeah. of strip malls and yeah, ugh. yeah. yeah. It's a, I will say this though, for people who have not been to Graceland, um, do it. Oh man. I, to me, Graceland represents, uh, it's America. Like it's America, yeah. like yeah. in all of its flaws and its beauty, like all the great shit and all the bad shit, all the tacky stuff. Mm-hmm. It's all there, man. And, and, yeah. uh, I love it. I, I think it's absolute, you, you know, must there, there are two things that you must do before you die. If you, you know, one of them is you have to visit Graceland. I'm just talking about in America. Mm-hmm. One of them is you have to go to Graceland and experience it. And the other thing that you have to do before you die is at least see Guar once. That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> I, I maintain that you have lived an incomplete life if you've never seen Guar. I'm telling I've you. seen Guar. There I can you go. check both of those boxes. There you go. Is it not like spectacular? <laughs> it's a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, check out Priscilla when it comes out because I, I think you, I think you'll really like it, and it is yeah. really just the polar opposite in every way to that Baz Luhrmann movie. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one, it's a really beautifully made movie, and two, it's like honest and great. Yeah. So yeah. and it's Sofia Coppola who fucking rules. Also, She's she so does awesome. good work. Mm-hmm. So hey, by the way, you know we're talking about movies and horror movies and stuff. You found the Nightmare on Elm Street house. I did. What I the did. hell? Were you looking for it? Is that? <laughs> well, I found randomly found a list because I don't remember what detail I was looking up, but I was I was looking up something unrelated, and I came across a list someone had made, like a blog post of, um, you know, here's all this all the locations for all these different great '80s horror movies, and I was like, oh, that's a fun list. And I started yeah. looking them up, and I saved a few of them because I was like, oh, these are in LA. I'm going to be in LA. And I saved a bunch of them to my, you know, and Google Maps, you can make a little list of stuff. And I, I saved that. And I was near the area and I was trying to zoom in on the map because I was like, well, wait, what street is this? Whatever. And I saw a pin there and I was like, what is that? Oh, that's, oh shit. That's that thing I bookmarked. Which house is this? Okay. And it was the Nightmare on Elm Street house. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to go. And, and I, I roll up and it's a very pretty street off of a very busy street. And back in this neighborhood and it's it's a little bit grown up the you know the hedges obviously it's been a long time so the hedges are kind of grown up plus yeah. i'm sure these people have people stop yeah. like me yeah. stopping by all the time yep. to take pictures of it all the time yeah and and my i i'm sitting there and i'm like taking a picture i'm leaning out of the car it's very clear what i'm doing and a car pulls right up in front of me and jumps out and like someone jumps out and starts she's taking a different picture and i'm like dude get out of my picture so i have to yeah. wait for her to move and then i'm taking yeah. another one and, you know, three or four cars, because I was just trying to, like, get the right picture, and I was trying to take it from l- down low, so it looked kind of spooky, and finally I was like, screw it, it's my head-on picture, I'm just going to go. Yeah. Um, but it was cool to find that. Um, the next one, I want to find the the um, the Laurie Strode house and the Michael Myers there. house. I've, have I've you? Seen, uh, yeah, I have. I, the Halloween um, 
locations I've actually been to. My favorite is the hedge, and it's still there. Oh, uh, that, the, that fucking hedge where you know when the when the girls are yeah. walking uh, home from school, and then he just comes out from behind the hedge just yeah. to stand in there. And uh, that whole thing, that hedge is still there. They've maintained that hedge since ni- when they shot that movie in 1977. I mean, wouldn't you, though, if you were that yeah. homeowner? I would. Oh, yeah. And you want to talk about, like, dorks. I mean, because it's like, it's a hedge. And people will come from, <laughs> mi- you know, from miles around and go, I got to go to the hedge. Like, take it easy, man. <laughs> but I did the same thing. I was like, I got to go to the hedge. And that was, for me, like, I've seen the houses that were in Halloween that they used in Halloween in some of the other locations. But for me, the coolest one, I got a picture taken next to the hedge. I was like, man, this nice. is Michael Myers' hedge. That's so. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But that's cool. So the so the uh, the, the Nightmare on Elm Street house, um, I, I that as you mentioned, like the people that live there or live next door, are like oh, for Christ's sake, the dorks are out here again. I can't even <laughs> right. imagine. Right, they dread October. They're like yeah. Jesus Christ, everyone's coming here come, by. Here come the idiots with their cameras, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but I will say this on a completely different and more disturbing level, a friend of mine lived about a block down from the Gacy house, oh. where John Gacy lived. And, like, after everything that happened, you have no idea how many weirdos would come out there. And then when they tore the house down, um, and it was just an empty lot, which was even, like, sadder and creepier, mm-hmm. um, my, my buddy would say that people would go out there, like, people would go out there and get drunk. They would, like, light, light candles and stuff on the empty lot, and then the, the cops would have to come and go, get out, get out of here. And that was, like, on a different creepy level, those were, like, some disturbed-ass people who were like, yeah. hey, let's go visit the Gacy house and party on it, you know, on the Ooh, lot. that's spooky. Very creepy. Very, very creepy. So, I don't know. I don't know. Well, now, speaking of horror movies. Yeah. Um, you know, we were talking about uh, horror movies that you wanted to watch um, and, and get into. Um, and uh, Dr. Sleep, you know, we were talking about, like, what, what, which ones would you, would you enjoy watching? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so you came across Dr. Sleep. I'm assuming, is it because you're a fan of The Shining or... I'm a very big fan of The Shining, and the reason is, is because my parents were winter caretakers of a hotel oh, when I was right. little. That's and so right. yeah. when I, when the first time I saw that, I was like, hell no. Yeah. Hell no. <laughs> I was horrified by that. And obviously there was not, you know, blood pouring out of an elevator, nor did right. my dad chop anyone up, but, right. um, or try to, but, yeah. um, it was a spooky place. He worked at Grove Park Inn in um, Asheville, North Carolina, which is now open all the time. But at the time, it's a windy little hill. Um, it, it Not so much in the winter. Seasonal, yeah. Seasonal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Beautiful hotel. Um, it used to be the home of, or the summer home for F. Scott and Zelda Fitzgerald. And so the the legend was that it was um, it was them and particularly Zelda because that was like her happy place because he she was in a psychiatric facility most of the year and then he would yeah. come get her and they would summer there um, and so like to hear my dad tell it he'll he'll say something like okay I don't believe in fucking ghosts but here's some shit that happened <laughs> <laughs> like that's how he will say it. <laughs> And then he will tell you these horrifying stories that you're like, do do you not really? You really don't believe in ghosts? Fuck no, I don't believe in ghosts. But some son of a bitch used to throw shit across the room every damn morning. Like, okay, all right, that sounds good. That's the best. <laughs> Ghost stories with dad. That could be a whole podcast, I think, right, right there. Right, right, totally. So, so I was very psyched to watch Dr. Sleep. And, yeah. you know, we were talking about like – what is what are the elements of a feminist horror movie? Right, feminist and horror. Yeah, yeah, I think this is one of them. I think this qualifies. Well, tell me, tell me why you think that, and and, and I love to hear your thought because you'd never seen. I I saw it when it first came out, and yeah. I 
fucking love it. And I particularly, uh, and I know that we'll get into this, like as far as your your take on feminist horror. For particularly, I love Rebecca Ferguson. I. Oh my God, she was badass. Oh my God, do I. I love her in everything. I love her in Dune. I love her in the Mission Impossible yeah. movies. I love her in everything. And she rules in Dr. Yeah. Sleep. So, but she tell me about good. what you thought of it and, and, and all that. Well, first of all, I mean, you have all the action being driven by these two polar opposite beings, both of whom are female. The little girl and yeah. then the Rebecca Ferguson character who is pure evil and destructive and all of this, right? Like all of this is happening. And the men were involved in those missions, but they weren't driving them necessarily. Right. And right. I was like, oh shit, this is interesting. Yeah. I thought there were some choices made by Mike Flanagan, who, who wrote and directed it, um, that were so interesting that, that were such an homage to The Shining, like the staircase where Rebecca Ferguson and Ewan McGregor are fighting on the staircase, but they've, they're doing so it's staged in a way that, that kind of, um, mimics the way that Jack Nicholson chased Danny down the stairs as a little kid. Mm -hmm. And there's so many like interesting parallels where the dynamic is flipped a little bit. Yeah. Um, so it was cool to see this, you know, here's what happened to little Dan red rum Danny and all of that and how he's, you know, communicating with this little girl. I just thought it was just cool and weird. And at first I was like, how is this connected to the shining? Oh, oh. you know, if, cause at yeah. first it kind of just seems like, Oh, okay. It's just Danny grown up and he's having his mm -hmm. experience as an adult. And then you, you come back to the, the hotel and the overlook hotel and all this is going on. I thought it was great and it was beautifully done and um yeah holy shit yeah. i mean it was 40 what was like 45 50 million dollar budget and i was like how is that possible and then you're like oh because there's a shitload of cgi happening yeah. there's a lot happening a lot of flying um yeah. but it was yeah I, I loved it i just thought um, structurally it was so smart and so many cool details i loved the use of like the the red rum, you know, the, the shining ability. I loved yeah. the use of that throughout yeah. it as a, yeah. it became a plot device, which was yeah. just cool. The other thing that it's, and I've not read the book. I read the shining. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, have you, have you read the, the book, the shining? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So the thing about Kubrick's movie is that it's completely different <laughs> than the book. Totally. Uh, like yeah. he really yeah. made it a Kubrick movie and it was, and, and, and it was completely different than the book. Um, so you had to get used to that. But what was interesting about what Flanagan did with the movie and that King, um, you know, Stephen King actually gave him his blessing and really and Stephen King loves the movie, loves Dr. Sleep, loves it. Um, but what's interesting is that he took because because, you know, obviously Dr. Sleep is based on a book, the sequel that Stephen King wrote, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, wrote to a book that Stanley Kubrick didn't necessarily actually make into his movie. <laughs> yeah. Right. But what's interesting is that they bring in a ton of stuff in this movie from the Kubrick version and yeah, and yeah. make that part of the iconography. You know what I mean? Like it's like mm -hmm. that's where and, and and and, you know, to 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 King's you know credit, he did not bitch about that. He's like, OK, people know. The Shining from the movie and to tie it together, not just with my book, but with Kubrick's movie was brilliant to, to, to do it that way, to yeah. bring it, you know, to be faithful to the book, Dr. Sleep, and yet also brilliantly bring in a lot of elements, especially in the last half hour when he goes to the Overlook, um, uh, bring in elements that is, that's just associated with Kubrick's movie and not King's book. I thought that was absolutely a brilliant way to do it. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I mean, there, there's like a whole other conversation to be had about like book to movie, yeah, you know, adaptations yeah, yeah. And, and all of that. And, but also it's true that sometimes the movie does bring the, the, you know, is the milkshake that brings all the boys to the yard, you know, yeah. sometimes that's the, the pop yeah. culture thing that Absolutely. people connected with it. And so it's like, if that is what brings people to the story, great. And if some of those people then go and read the book because they missed it and they didn't first know it as the book, that's yeah. fine. That's, yeah. that's cool. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I loved all the, the Kubrick iconography. I thought that was so interesting and so yeah. cool. I mean, as they were running around the overlook, I was like, yeah. Oh my God, they got all the details. So they, right. They so did, they did. beautifully. I, done. I, I, I actually got the chills several times the first time I saw it. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, the elevator stuff is in there as well and all of that. So, yeah. I mean, but they, but they do such a brilliant job with it and it really, cause I thought the movie was brilliant and I thought there was some, really deeply fucked up stuff in that movie that they do yeah. to kids. Like there's a scene with a kid in this movie, Rebecca Ferguson, my God. I oh. was like, you're going there Oof. Flanagan. Yeah. You're going to go. And he went, he went there. there. Oh that was hard. God. That was hard to watch that. Yeah. Part. I was like, damn. Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. yeah. But, and you know, but there's also like, um, some interesting modern choices that, that, the, that, um, Ewan McGregor as adult Danny is making differently than than Jack Nicholson made as as his father, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, in particular, the scene where he he walks into the bar yeah. and then uh, is kind of transported and lots of like, yes, Mr. Torrance, you know, yeah. um, and chooses to drink, and that sort of sets off this whole thing that we know Danny has been struggling to maintain his sobriety. We yeah. know that he's been working on it very hard, yep. and he and and I'm sitting there going, "Don't do it, man! Don't do it! Don't do it!" And he he's like fighting it, and it's not just a. What I loved about that dis, that moment was that it wasn't um, just like a quick. Uh, I'm just going to make the right choice. Like he, yeah. he struggled with it yeah. in, in a way that I thought was like powerful and, and really cool and beautiful. But yeah, there was some dark shit. In there. there is some dark stuff in there. And as, you know, as a recovering alcoholic myself, when I was watching that movie, I was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty great. I mean, that's like, that's accurate. And if, if you're, if you're going through that kind of stuff and um, it really is, it's difficult, but, and, and, and of course, different than the way Nichols, because Nicholson not known for his subtlety. It was like, I'm going right. to drink and blah, you know, then he's like, that goddamn kid. And he's banging on the bar. <laughs> and then, but there is that moment where Nicholson does take that first big drink. And yeah. like the idea was that Kubrick, Kubrick had said the idea was after he takes that drink, that's when he sells his soul to the devil. Yeah. And that's why it's like a long, like, like just a one static shot of, of, of Jack Nicholson doing the weirdest shit ever mm -hmm. after taking the shot. And that, and, and that's actually not, um, not the, not the kind of work that you, that they did in this movie, nor did Ewan McGregor. Um, Ewan McGregor's performance is much subtler, uh, yeah. than what, than what Nicholson did, but, that's uh, right. but yeah. great nonetheless. Yeah. So doctors, I'm glad you, I'm glad you saw it. I'm glad you liked great it. Great movie. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. I, I, and it was, it felt long, but it was good <sighs> and it didn't feel like wasted space in there. Yeah. Now I don't know if you. I don't. I don't know which version you watch because there is the the uh, theatrical cut, which is long, and then there's the director's cut, Flanagan's cut, which is even longer. So I don't know which one you watched. But oh, I don't know. <clears throat> they're both long though. They're both over two hours. They're both like I think the yeah. I think the, the the regular cut, the theatrical cut's like two twenty five. Yeah. But I think the director's cut's even longer. I think the director's cut's closer to three hours. So. Oh, interesting. Like if you watch those back to back, if you watch The Shining and Doctor Sleep, it, yeah, that's a long stretch of not peeing. Let me just say that. <laughs> That's a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway. Hey, uh, uh, getting into more, even more like scary stuff. Now, you went to go see, uh, your friend had a staged radio play 
of Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah man. Tell me about that. That's this was cool. so cool. So, you know, she kind of did it for fun. Uh, she's a voiceover artist. Her name is Billy Bryant. And she um, she was like, I think this would be a fun thing to do. And she got a script. Um, and so it was like a kind of 40s version of it, but it was like a stage reading of. So it was actors, but they weren't acting out. They weren't in costume. They were up at microphones reading. But the Foley artist was on stage and part of the production. The musician, um, there well, technically there were two. Like the musicians were kind of part of it. Um, there was an announcer who mm. was like, uh, you know, would like go to commercial break and all the actors would sit down. Cool. And it was such a cool thing. And I was, I left thinking, um, and, and PS, this was like kind of up in the mountains in the San Bernardino mountains. And, uh, uh, so it was, it was like very autumnal and, and kind of spooky and it was surrounded, but there was like a haunted house next door and like lots, lots of stuff going on. And it was in a tent outside too. So oh, it was cool. very cool and That's spooky. So cool. It was very, very cool. Um, and it was just beautifully done. And, and she cast, um, gender neutral. So Victor Frankenstein was a woman. Cool. And it was awesome. So the ship captain that kind of opens the play, yeah. talking about this is, you know, we pulled this man on on board and this is what happened. And then who closes the play was a woman doing this like kind of sea captain, almost piratey sort of voice. And for a second I was like, oh, what's going on here? And then Victor Frankenstein was played by a British actress who slayed that. And it yeah. wasn't even like so. You know, there's all this stuff going on with the fiance who is also a woman. The, so the only dude in the whole show was Frankenstein or the monster. Wow. That's pretty cool. And you lose track of it. Like you, I was just, you know, I was just so in it because everyone was so damn talented that I was like, oh, holy shit. That's so awesome that how she yeah. cast it that way. It was spectacularly done. But everybody kept asking her like, OK, what are you going to do next? And she was like, mm, I guess I'm I guess I'm doing something else. But it made me think of I know there are podcasts that that do radio shows, but I, I left thinking what an underutilized, uh, use of podcasts to yeah. tell, to tell fiction stories. And again, there are so many great fiction podcasts that are so fun and so interesting. Um, but I, I'm like, Oh, I want to, I want to do that. Wouldn't that be fun to adapt some story just for the challenge of not doing it as a visual storytelling element, but as just an audio storytelling element. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's it, radio. Radio plays are, are, I think, they're fascinating and they're fantastic. Um, I used to um, follow on uh, on the car wash. Carl Amare um, yeah. is a guy who who you know who has collections of radio plays and and, and old time radio shows and stuff. Um, and I used to follow uh, the Twilight Zone, which was um, uh, they brought it back. Carl Amare produced it and brought it mm-hmm. back. And I used to follow that. My show used used to follow, and they were classic Twilight Zone stories and Twilight Zone episodes that were adapted for radio and done oh, with cool. the with the sound effects and, and the Foley artists and all that stuff. And I actually was in a couple of them because um, Carl was like, yeah, come on down to the studio. And, and it was fun to like act in them um, so and, cool. and do that from the from the behind the scenes where they would add the sound effects and all that stuff. Yeah, because you got to use your brain. You got to use your... I used to... When I used to go to sleep when I was a kid, um, there used to be um, um, a radio show on late at night that I would listen to every night and it was hosted by E.G. Marshall. Hmm. Um, and, uh, shit, I can't remember. It was a CBS a mystery radio or something like that. And okay. they were like kind of scary scary radio stories. And I would listen to it every, <laughs> every night before I'd go to bed. I'd lay in bed and listen to it. 
which explains a lot about my psyche. Right, right. Um, but I loved them. I loved them. And I, and I love to, like, I've seen radio shows live, and I've seen, there was a, a film that came through town many, many years ago, um, a silent movie, <clears throat> a modern black and white silent movie, where they brought out uh, musicians and Foley artists and, and accompanied the movie with that was at the music box. And Crispin Glover was the narrator live. Oh my God. I love Crispin Glover. So I know if I figured you did, I figured you did. And that was pretty cool. But to watch the Foley artists and all that stuff work, that must've been a blast. I mean, really it cool. It was so cool. Yeah. It was so cool. And then after I was like, I went up to the table and I was like immediately messing with all the Foley stuff and asking <laughs> right. a ton of questions. Right. And, um, they built, uh, they built like an old school Creek box to make the sounds of like the ship, the ropes kind of creaking and the gallows to hear the noose. And they, That's they made awesome. So as you twist it, these ropes would kind of creak. It was so eerie yeah. and wonderful. Yeah. And what I love yeah. about it is, you know, for a play or, or a movie even, you know, a, a play, so much of it is physical. For a movie, so much of the acting happens right on the face, right in the eyes. Yeah, yeah. And they were doing, these actors were doing that, but also... If you, you know, a couple of times I looked down on purpose just to, just to kind of listen, or I'd kind of close my eyes for a second just to listen. And it, it didn't, it didn't detract anything because all of the actors, particularly the actress that played uh, Victor Frankenstein was, everyone was so talented at using silence right, and yeah. using their voice in such a skillful and wonderful way that, that I think we, you know, we have experienced with as we're telling a story you know, as we're sharing news or in a certain kind of interview, there's a tone you take, you know, to, to match yeah. Yeah. the tone of the thing you're talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not going to sound peppy up as you're like, uh, you know, reporting some like very fucked up news. Right. But it, it was, you know, in such a, um, such a theatrical way to like, wow, what a, what powerful use of silence. Yeah. It's interesting you too. Know be- is a look. It was because cool. because you know, like you and I, obviously uh, did a lot of radio over the years, and and I think that uh, we can take it in a completely different way, like absorb it in a different way, because of the you know the the business that we did. You know, as you mentioned, speaking into a microphone, people don't see us when we were yeah. on the radio. They don't see us, right. uh, and so you have to create this illusion, or at least the storytelling thing that is audible only Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and there's something really special about that and listening to a radio play or watching people perform a radio play is fascinating and I don't want to ruin it but uh you you got to see uh Amy you got to see Scorsese's new movie uh, which I think is extraordinary uh Killers of the Flower Moon oh yeah um um, and I won't I won't ruin anything but definitely the last 10 minutes I'm not going to say anything more but when you see it when you see Killers of the Flower Moon uh, the last 10 minutes uh, is going to, well, I mean, like most of the movie will, but the last 10 minutes is going to kind of surprisingly blow you away in that movie. I love it. So I'm make sure you listen to that. Very, very cool. Uh, oh, you know what? We haven't even done, and we're almost done here, but I have to do this. You just stay around here to <laughs> fuck my mother and eat her food. Matt. Oh, he moves. You are a little fucking asshole. Try something Jim, Jim. Motherfucker, Matt. food eater. There it is. There it is. I couldn't, I couldn't, yeah. Yeah. Motherfucker, food eater. Right. I can't, we can't have a visit with Amy Guth and not play that at least a couple of times. We can't not. I um, love how in you address me in email as food eater now. I know. That's how we, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> You're like, hey, food eater, what How's are we going, talking about eater? this week? Yeah. <laughs> a little behind the scenes. That's how uh, Amy and I, we, we, we talk to each other. Is he, I, think, I, I think I call you food eater and I think you call me motherfucker. I think that's how, uh, I think. 
I mean, that, that tracks in my mind. It's fine. You're absolutely right. Of course it does. <laughs> By the way, it's really interesting to sometimes check my voicemail and hear Leo Rossi on it. Uh, That's who, awesome. Who is the motherfucker food eater uh, yeah. in, that, in that scene. Uh, but yeah, he's like, he, because I, I have this, there's this play that I did. I did it, uh, an adaptation of uh, uh, High Fidelity before it was made into a movie. And it was called awesome. The Vinyl Shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, and it's, I, I, someone posted it on YouTube for anybody to watch. So if you're interested in watching it, the entire play is on, it's The Vinyl Shop. You can Google The Vinyl, you can go to, uh, go to uh, YouTube and Google The Vinyl Shop performance and it'll pop up. And I co-wrote it and, uh, and I directed it and we won all kinds of awards and we had a great time. Awesome. It was fantastic. And it was back in 1998. And anyway, um, uh, Leo Rossi uh, found out about it and I get this message from my, from motherfucker food eaters like beep. And then all of a sudden it's like, Nikki D, Leo Rossi. I watched your fucking play. Good job. Call me up. Let's talk. You know, that's motherfucker food eater calling me up. Motherfucker food eater. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that, because because the, the reason we posted it is because the guy, um, Mike View, who plays uh, uh, Rob, the lead in, in, our, in our play, mm-hmm. um, he passed away a couple of months ago. Uh, he was young and he passed away. Um, and so we posted it for people to see because it's like the best, might, might be one of the best things that Mike's ever done. And so I wanted people to see it. So we posted it so people can see Mike's performance. And that's why we posted it. And, um, and, and, and Mike, I, I'm telling you right now, if Mike knew, and he does at some point, he's floating around in the ether as far as I can see. Uh, if Mike knew that Leo Rossi watched him act, he would shit his pants. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good thing. So, yeah, right? Yeah. But anyway, so motherfucker food eater. All right. We're looking forward to uh, talking to you next time. We'll probably have a little bit more news about what's going on with the uh, with the Elvis film, which we're all yeah. very excited about. That's right. Um, and uh, and we didn't get to this story. You told me off the air, but you had a celebrity encounter with Tara Reid, which is a little interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I looked over. I was having lunch and I looked over and she was staring at me. <laughs> and I don't know why, but not in a like creepy judgmental way. She was just staring at me. So yeah. Okay, so that's what happens when you go out to eat in L.A. Every once in a while, Tara Reid will stare at you. So there you go. (laughs) Well, Amy, uh, you're awesome as usual, and we will talk again in December. Um, Have a fabulous Thanksgiving. Thank you. You too. Um, And uh, and we will talk in November. And uh, everybody listen to the Daily Gist podcast. That's Cranes. And go to amyguth.com for all the other details. And uh, have a magical Godzilla day, Amy. (laughs) And a magical Godzilla day to you as well. Okay, thanks. That's the great Amy Guth. Uh, She'll join us again next time. Check out amyguth.com for more information. Uh, Always a pleasure to talk to her. And speaking of pleasure, let's welcome Esmeralda to the podcast. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. Time to talk to Esmeralda Leon right here on the Nick D podcast. And uh, here she is. Hi, Esmeralda. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. So how was your trip to New to New Orleans? Amazing. Was it? So crazy. I don't remember it. You, how is that what moment in time? <laughs> it's just such a blur, right? It happened so fast. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you don't remember it and you had a a good time. <laughs> <laughs> and the memories will come back soon enough. They will very very soon. Probably next week at this time. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably next week. Suddenly, your memory. And your, your, your ability to actually recall details of what happened on your trip to New Orleans will suddenly bounce right back about a week from today. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It'll be okay. a miracle. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm glad you had a good time. I actually hope you have a great time when you go. All right, anyway, uh, not, to, not to mess up the magic or anything, but anyway, we're recording this before Esmeralda goes to New Orleans and uh, very excited about it. Um, and I'm sure that people who have, uh, you know, you probably, you and Colin are probably sick to death of people saying, oh, well, here's a place to go. And here are you, are, are, are a lot of people like <laughs> yelling at you about um, things that you need to do? Not really. It's very vague kind of things. They're like, oh, you know, it's, it's going to be great and good food and this and that. So nothing like no one has really given us. Yeah. A lot of stuff. It's just a lot of people going, I had a good time when I went. So you'll yeah. have fun. It's like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I guarantee you you'll have a you'll have a you'll have a lovely time. There's a lot of really cool things to do uh down there. And um yeah, no, so you're gonna I, I, seriously, I I can't imagine you not having a blast, you and Colin not having a blast while you're there. So it's a it's a fun town. So anyway. That's why we're uh, a little bit earlier in our, our, our recording time period. Uh so mm-hmm. and I think these guys are a little confused. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they don't know what to. Yeah, yeah. They're just yeah. A, yeah, they're always excited. They're always excited, no matter what's that. You, you, these guys would have yeah. a blast in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. yeah all of that. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. <laughs> hey, when you're down there, uh, you can make sure to say this. Suck my dick, every one of you bastards. That's it. And while you're there, you. That's how I leave. That's how I'm gonna leave. <laughs> That's how you leave before your... I get on the airplane. That's what I do <laughs> every time, do. everywhere Suck I go. My dick. Every one of you bastards. <laughs> they that's, love it when uh, you every time I get on a plane yeah. to come back home. That's what yeah. I say wherever I am. You yeah. walk in. Suck my dick. Every one of you bastards. <laughs> and then I go, okay, thank you. Show me my seat. <laughs> uh, just love that. Uh, I would love that. That would be fantastic. All right. Well, anyway, have a great. Uh-oh. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. Suck my dick. Oh, hey. Every one of you bastards. <laughs> Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, All right, and I love Carrie Nick's show. <laughs> I wonder There's if no... Carrie Russell's ever met. No, like she's, I don't think she's... Well, she has a long Kiss Goodnight t-shirt on right now that she's made. So, no, uh, I, 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 Hi, I'm Carrie All Russell, right, Carrie. and right. I love Nick's All show. Right. <laughs> well, anyway, have a, have a great time. While you're there. Uh, and then, you know, you do a lot of traveling now. You're doing some traveling, but we're going to be back out on the road with this guy. And gentlemen, Michael Bolton. Yeah, so. Uh, yeah, not for a minute, though. We'll yeah, be, you know, not till December. So we got a little break. You got a little break. You can recover from your trip to New Orleans before we have to get back out on the road with Michael Bolton. Right. Um, yes, yeah. exactly. All right. All right. Well, uh, so have a great time. And uh, and there you, you'll be doing a lot of that. Ah! While you're there. All right. Hey, by the way, you know what is officially back now? Esmeralda. What's that? <gasps> McRib is back. It is. Oh boy. It's, it's officially back. It's November. How many which... how many do you think you're gonna eat? So wait, do you know when it ends? Uh, you know, it usually goes through the holidays. Like it's like a Christmas gift. It's a holiday gift for 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 all of us who love the McRib. 
So I think it goes for a couple. I think it goes into the. I think it st- it stops around the new year. That's okay. What, uh, so that's how many do you estimate you will eat? I will eat thirty-seven. No, I. I oh, okay. I don't, I don't a... know, but, but I will. I honestly, I will eat multiple McRibs during this time. It's my favorite fast food sandwich of all time. So you do you eat two at a time? Sometimes, yeah. When you order, okay. I do. Sometimes I do, yeah, because they're not, you know, they're not the biggest sandwich in the world. They, by the way, the, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, Esmeralda, when the McRib was first introduced, I believe it was in night. I was working at McDonald's when it was first introduced, um, and it was a regular food item on the menu year round when I worked there. Mm-hmm. Back in the early '80s, it was a regular menu. Now it's not, you know, it's a it's a treat once a year uh, for you know they make us they make us like for about eight months during the year they make us wait and drool in anticipation for the McRib and then it shows up. But back in the day, in '82, I believe it debuted. Um, it was on the menu all the time. And well, you know, they didn't they didn't mind smoking and barbecuing, <laughs> right? All those ribs. Yeah. Yeah, because it's the real meat. It's, it's, it's real. It's real meat. We would we would have them in a you know we would have them in a smoker. You know what I mean? Like in the back. I don't mm-hmm. know if you know this or yeah, not. Yeah, it'd be a whole special thing. Every McDonald's <laughs> would bring in a smoker. That's right. We'd have a special smoke guy yeah. who no, would we be would back bring in there. We would have like yeah, we would <laughs> have in like, the morning. Exactly. They would be there stoking the coals. You know, making sure that mm-hmm. the smoker was going because we wanted very very tender, lovely pork meat for uh for actual right. ribs um it's not but, processed know, at all do that anymore it wasn't a processed product <laughs> it's not a processed product yeah. at all it's not someone pro- was back there taking out the bones no yep exactly it's not processed at all it's it, it's it wasn't made on a conveyor belt and stamped to make it look like there are ribs or bones in it no mm-hmm. no it's real um but and i remember back in the day i don't for some reason maybe because i was smaller in 1982, you know, I was like 15 or no, 16 years old or 17 years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't know. I always thought the McRib was a bigger sandwich when I was younger. But now, you know, I'm an old fat ass now. And so, so like for me, I'm like, man, this, not, there's not enough McRib here. But when I was younger, I used to be like, oh, McRib. And so, there's, there's Have not you ever McRib. thought to ask for two McRibs I, yeah, in one I, sandwich? I, oh, a double McRib. I don't think I've ever even mm-hmm. done a double McRib, even when I worked there and we could do... Because we used to... When I worked at McDonald's, when we when we would go on break, mm-hmm. um, we would make... You know, we would have... We, I would make like a Big Mac, but with quarter pounder meat. So it would be like... <laughs> so instead of the small hamburger patties that the Big Mac has made... I would use the big quarter pounder meat and have it hanging out the the bun. So I would have the oh Big Mac, boy. but with giant quarter pounder meat. But I never tried the double McRib on one bun. Wow. I never even thought of that. But I think, but for me, the McRib is a perfect sandwich. McRib is the greatest fast food sandwich of all time. So the way it is now, bun to meat to sauce, onion, pickle ratio is perfect. So I think mm-hmm. that would be a little too much. It would be too sloppy anyway, because you'd like the, mm. the they would like slide the the two patties would slide off of each other, and it wouldn't be it would just you know, right? You you don't think they would interlock? Well, yeah, between oh yeah, if I flip them over, you would have the bones. Yeah. That's a good point. Wow, I'm gonna have to try this now. I because uh, back <laughs> back in the day, Esmeralda, when I worked at McDonald's, they would keep the McRibs. You would cook the McRibs ahead of time on the grill on the flat top. Mm-hmm. You would grill them up. And then you would take the the patties and you would throw them into these sauce bins that were in a heater. 
So yeah. it was like, you know, like, so the, the these metal bins, you know what I'm talking about, like warmers, that's, mm-hmm. it, it, they would be in this, this, this warming bin that was, had, you know, water in it. It would be in hot water. These little bins would be in hot water and you would keep them sort of on a simmer and the barbecue sauce would be in there. So you'd cook them and then drop them in the barbecue sauce and they would uh, simmer in the barbecue sauce. And when someone ordered them, you would grab them out of the bin in the barbecue sauce. So they would they would be mm. marinating. They would be marinating for you know like a, you know, like a, like hours at a time in the barbecue sauce until you'd got an order. Well, that and sounds you, nice. It was fantastic. So we would have there were three bins with barbecue sauce. One would be empty in case you needed extra sauce, and one would have the the McRibs in it. Um, so they're um, not empty, but one would just have sauce. One would have the McRibs with sauce, and then one would be empty. Mm-hmm. Um. So we would take the one that was empty and we'd fill it with barbecue sauce and then we'd cook extra ribs and rip them into pieces and drop them in. Mm-hmm. And then just just with with the tongs grab out pieces of McRibs and eat them as we as we worked. <laughs> grab chunks of so McRibs. Weird. <laughs> so the third bin was for pieces of McRibs that had been ripped to shreds and we would reach mm-hmm. in and just grab mm-hmm. them while we ate. And and so we had a we had a full supply of shredded McRib meat in the third bin so that we could eat it for our entire shift. <laughs> so, uh, so we ate a we ate a cool. lot. We, just, we never stacked <laughs> we never stacked the full patties on top of each other, but we did have chunks of McRib that we would eat uh, on a on a regular basis during a six or eight hour shift. So interesting. I, yeah, but it's back. <gasps> McRib is back. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm excited about it. I don't know if anybody else is there. Do you have a favorite fast food item, Esmeralda? Um, I mean, I love the chicken nuggets. Uh, the old, the old standby. A good chicken nugget. Yeah. The old, the old yeah. standby. The good chicken nuggets, man. I remember when they. I was. I was working at McDonald's when they debuted. Jesus. Um, and they were so new. By the way, this was also 1982. Boy, good year for McDonald's. The McNuggets and the McRib debuted in those years. Um. But in the but the McNuggets were brand new. They were so new, Esmeralda. I don't know if I told you this before or not. Um, but you remember? Uh, <laughs> I'll remind you of this. You remember I dated my manager, uh, mm-hmm. McDonald's, who was yes. much older than me and had a child. And we won't get into that because it, <laughs> yeah. it makes everybody uncomfortable. Um, but anyway, she uh, was when uh, she actually got transferred out of the McDonald's that I worked at, the McDonald's that I worked at is at Irving and Major, just west of Central in Chicago. It's still there, right next to a Dairy Queen, blocks away mm-hmm. from where I went to high school. So if you want to check out the very, and, and I was there when we opened the store. It was brand new, new facility, brand new, opened up in November of 1981, and, um, and it's been there ever since. But she got transferred, my, my, my ex-girlfriend slash manager, much older than me, McDonald's lady, uh, got transferred out of that McDonald's at Irving and Major, and they transferred her to Oak Brook, the headquarters. Mm, mm-hmm. I won't. I won't get into why they, why they, why they transferred her, but they did. But they did. Um, and anyway, so when the McNuggets came out, mm-hmm. um, because she was working in the, I mean, that was the store that was in the headquarters. Um, so it was like the ground zero store where they would test stuff out, like they tried McPizza there. Oh. So they would test things out. Yeah, McPizza. You ever had McPizza? I never had McPizza. Oh, no, <laughs> they had McEgg. I remember they did McPizza. They did McEgg rolls. They did McEgg. Oh wow! Yeah. What was in them? I don't even know, man. I don't remember. But they would. But anything that would be tested out, they would do in the, uh, the 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 
the the store in the headquarters in, in, in Oakbrook. And uh, my ex-girlfriend w- became a manager there. So when the McNuggets debuted in 1982, they were such a big deal. And this is so weird. They were such a big deal that McDonald's had a tent at the Taste of Chicago. Oh, wow. Um, and they only served McNuggets. And it was brand new. Nobody, they, they weren't even on the menu yet. They debuted at, in Chicago, they debuted at Taste of Chicago. And literally, people were waiting in line at Taste of Chicago. You know, millions of people there on the 4th of July weekend, waiting in line for fucking McNuggets. That's how big a deal and how new it was. And nobody had ever, oh my God, what are McNuggets? <laughs> They're... So wait, there had never had there been nuggets? No. Anywhere? No. There were no nuggets. Like oh, it was a it was a brand yeah. new thing. Like McDonald's was like, we've got this thing called they had the chicken sandwich, the McChicken. Mm-hmm. And that was very, very popular. And chicken sandwiches weren't really popular at fast food places. It was I think I think McDonald's is one of the very first, you know, chains to put a chicken sandwich, because mostly meat. You know, you would have your Big Macs and you have your quarter pounders and stuff and cheeseburgers. Um, but like the chicken sandwich was kind of a new thing. It was a, it was you know like wow that's cool. We can have a chicken sandwich and not have you know red meat. And so when the chicken sandwich became so popular, they were like, hey, let's process more chicken <laughs> and process it into little little like dippable nuggets. And so McDonald's was the first big chain to have chicken nuggets. And it was revolutionary at the time. Like it was like man, you would think that they invented penicillin. In 1982, when those things came out, and people were waiting in line at, you know, Taste of Chicago. Well, you go to Taste of Chicago, for me at least, you go to Taste of Chicago, back in the day, like when it was really, really, you know, like millions of people would go. I would go and try mm-hmm. different, I would go and try food that I never tried before, stuff that wasn't in my neighborhood, or like, I remember every year I would, tr- I would go to, I can't remember the name of the place that served the turtle soup. I would go and definitely have turtle soup. I wouldn't go there to have like a piece of pizza. You can get a piece of pizza anytime. That's what always drove yeah. me crazy. Yeah, no, and that's that is uh, that is a very smart way to go. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't you try stuff you never tried before? I mean, like, fuck, you can get a piece of yeah, pizza of every day. You can get like a cheeseburger anytime. You know, like so people and yeah. even even like a big turkey leg. I can understand people getting the big turkey leg because it's a big turkey leg, and that's cool. But like, I always tried to try something that I never tried before because there would be local businesses you know, from the South side or the West side or all over the place that I'd never gone to before. Those are the places that I would go to for taste of Chicago. You know, I don't know. I certainly wouldn't get a goddamn McNugget, but people were waiting in line for McNuggets. Well, you know, they didn't, you know, like you said, it was a new, new thing. Brand new. Yeah. And it wasn't in uh, the restaurants yet. No, assuming. No. And then when it came, we couldn't keep them on the, we, you could not, cause we had, a, they would keep them. They, they, so they had a heater in the back that had drawers. So they would keep the nuggets in drawers. So mm-hmm. you, would pu- you would pull the drawer out and it was like a, um, it, it's, so it was like a, like a drawer and it had the nuggets in it and you would, you know, take the nuggets out and put them in the, you know, either a six piece or a 20 piece or whatever. And of course, we had a whole drawer for our own, so we would just grab nuggets and eat, <laughs> eat those. So we would eat right. nuggets and chunks of McRibs, you know, at that time. So you can imagine doing that now because I'm a fat bastard now. So it'd be like, can you imagine? I, would, I was 16, 17. You could eat anything at that point, you know, and not gain a right. fucking pound. Um, so yeah, nothing but strips of McNuggets or, or nugget, McNuggets and strips of McRib all day long. Mm. <laughs> but yeah. And I remember uh, uh, my, my ex was like, she was in the weeds the whole day and night, like nothing but nuggets. And they had like, they had like a bunch of deep fryers and you know, it's a fucking July. 
and mm-hmm. there's nothing but deep fryers frying up nugget after nugget after nugget with thousands of drunk people like give me more nuggets, you know, when they're they're gonna go off and see some fucking band at the Petrillo band shell <laughs> loaded up on nuggets and beer. I mean, Jesus Christ. So did you did you go to uh, Taste of Chicago? Was Taste of Chicago something that you did on a, on any kind of regular basis? Did you go? Um, yeah, for a few years. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, we would try to make it. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it was always, I mean, I enjoyed it. I took my mom one year because she hadn't gone, and she was just like, why? (laughs) (laughs) She did not, she wasn't really into it. There's just too many crowds for her, and like, yeah, she didn't really see the the fun of it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, I know. Was there was there anything that you do you remember any of the food that you had at Taste of Chicago? Did you try anything weird or or anything like that? Um, not really, from what I remember. Mm -hmm. Um. I think just sandwiches and stuff like that. I'm not quite yeah. sure. It's been so many. It, years. I mean, obviously, it's many, many years ago. So, uh, but yeah, we used to go. My my old friend, you know, you know who was the master of uh, Taste of Chicago, Esmeralda. Who's that? Joe, my friend, my old friend Joe. Hey, listen, we're going. And like he would, because <laughs> but Joe, Joe was a chef. Joe was a you know he went to Kendall uh, cooking school mm-hmm. and he got a, got a degree and he would. Uh, that's when he was working. I don't know. You remember the story when he was like, uh, he wor- he was working on the line and kind of like uh, one of the one of the managers of the kitchen on uh, the Odyssey boats and stuff. Mm-hmm. He would work in the kitchens at that. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but he would he would come back from working like an a, 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 an evening shift uh, at the Odyssey. Joe, my big my buddy Joe Donatello, um, uh, and he would go, hey. Uh, you're not going to believe who was on the fucking boat that I served, uh, I cooked for, you know, and he would like name celebrities and shit that were on the Odyssey. Yeah. And my favorite was when he goes, you know, who was on the, on the, on the, on the Odyssey tonight, who I cooked for who only acting mayor, Eugene Sawyer. (laughs) He actually described him as acting mayor, Eugene Sawyer, (laughs) because when, uh, Harold Washington, um, was sick and then passed away, Mm -hmm. Eugene, Eugene Sawyer stepped in. But he was only acting mayor, you know, because because right. when, when Harold Ram- when Harold Ramis when Harold uh, uh, Washington got sick, um, he was still mayor, and so somebody had to be put in charge, you know. So he was interim mayor, but he was acting mayor. And Joe Joe described only acting mayor Eugene Sawyer. <laughs> but Joe would always organize. A, we would go on the Fourth of July every year mm-hmm. to taste. Nice. And we would go right in the morning, like it would open up at 11 before the crowds got there because we wanted to get out of there before it got crazy, you know, mm-hmm. and yet we wanted to experience it. And Joe would like actually get like the map of where the, you know, what, where each restaurant was and where the table, you know, where the tents were and stuff like that. He go, all right, mm-hmm. first we're going to go here for the turtle soup. Then we're going to go over here, you know, and like he would map it all out. And he was our guy. Oh, wow. like, all right, let's go. And we get down there. Everybody would meet right at the entrance at like. 10 55 because it opened at 11 and this was what we did every fourth of july for maybe 15 years in a row wow yeah and joe would be you know because he knew all the food and everything and he'd be like all right look we're going and uh and then of course we would drink you know like we'd get like a ton of beer and get loaded and sometimes we would sit um you know in grant park and watch whatever band was playing you know we would do that Mm -hmm. um but yeah joe was like i remember one year because, yeah, as you know, as brother, that, that uh, they have a lot of radio stations and TV stations, you know, do remotes from there and stuff. And they have their whole big tent and a setup there where they're doing remotes. And um, I, I don't know. Have I ever told you how much I was in love with Linda McLennan? 
Do you remember Linda McLennan? I don't. You should look her up. Linda McLennan was on Channel 2. She was a news anchor. She did the news with Bill Curtis mm-hmm. and, 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 uh, and, and a whole bunch of people. And, and she was like, she, as far as I'm concerned, the, the best news babe in the history of local television is Linda McLennan. I loved Linda McLennan. And, uh, and, you know, like you had Deborah Norville, you had a whole bunch of the, you know, and still to this day, you've got, you've got the news babes. We, we used to call them news babes. And I remember Steve Dahl, yeah. used to, Steve Dahl used to do a thing where he would talk about all the news babes, you know, locally. Um, but Linda McLennan, I was in love with Linda McLennan. I had a massive crush on her, massive crush. And I've since met her, um, you know, because, you know. That's did you tell happens. her? I did. I told her I had a massive crush, and she was like, <laughs> "Oh, that, it, she did. She did everything, but like you know, uh, like pat me on the head. And go, oh, that's cute. You know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, okay, that's very cute. But I remember one year I got was loaded. I got loaded, which is shocking, Esmeralda. I got drunk once. Um, <laughs> oh, you? What? No, yeah. There was a period of time when I drank. I don't know if you know that or not, Esmeralda. But, um, but so I was. We were out all day. We were there like all day, and I was drunk. And Channel Two, and we were there so long because Channel because es- es- Esmeralda, uh, Linda McC- Linda McLennan, <laughs> she did the five o'clock news. She anchored the five news at the four thirty or five o'clock whenever it started. So we had been there all day. So I'd been drinking since like noon. So oh my gosh, they were gonna do the news from Taste. And I was shit faced. And I went up to the, like, she was up on, they had her up on a, you know, like on a stage, a big stage. You had to climb up above, kind of mm-hmm. above the crowd so they could get an overhead shot of how many people were there, you know? So I'm shit, I'm, I'm shit faced. And I'm standing at the base of the, the, so I'm at the, you know, cause they got the people, the interns working the table, you know, like here, have a button mm-hmm. or yeah. here's a, you know, here's a visor with channel two written on it. You know, they're giving away the bullshit swag that nobody cares about the merch, you know? You know, you've done that, right? As an intern, mm-hmm. you're like, here, yeah. have some fucking merch. It's, you know, whatever. So these people are down there, and they had to deal with my drunk ass. I'm like, hey, could you tell Linda McClellan that I love her? You know, I was lo- <laughs> <laughs> loaded off my ass, and I'm screaming, Linda! Hey, Linda! And my friends are like, Nick, you, you, you have to just get away. And I, t- I, I did not tell this story to Linda McClellan. <laughs> did not tell the story to Linda McClellan about how I was, I, would know, I was probably in my 20s. And I was shit faced, and I was screaming about how much I loved her, and they had to like my friends had to pull me away, and I was I was terrifying the interns who were hanging hang, handing out Channel Two visors. I was scaring them. I mean, yeah, yeah. Good thing. No, I mean, good thing you didn't tell her because she's probably be like, "Oh, you're that guy." Oh yeah, I remember you. <laughs> Although you're probably like dime a dozen of dudes oh. yelling at her. Well, listen, so. man, Linda McLennan, man. Oh, yeah, she she was something, man. She still is. She's a lovely, lovely woman, and. uh but yeah, no, there was a period of time when I was like obsessed with her. I, <laughs> I don't think I've ever told you. I've ever told you that. I don't think I've ever told you that. that I, no, I don't no. think so. Yeah, I did. I was, I was, you know, I didn't stalk her or anything. But damn, Linda McLean. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> uh, Taste of Chicago. All right. Well, the McRib is back. That's where we're. That's how we got there. The McRib is back. So um, now, have you ever had a McRib, Esmeralda? Uh, I have. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Do you like them or just nah? You know, whatever. They're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't find them particularly amazing. Uh, so I will not be partaking in uh, McRib Fest. <laughs> the, uh, the, the only other person that is obsessed with the McRib as much as I am, and maybe even more. And I'm not kidding, Esmeralda. Now, you know how I feel about the McRib. Mm. Stand-up comedian, brilliant and funny, legendary Chicago stand-up comedian who I've had the pleasure of working with and... Uh, and, you know, doing sets with at Zany's and so on and so forth is a guy named Vince Moranto. Um, 
And Vince Morento has been doing comedy for over 40 years, uh, has done it all around the country, has headlined everywhere, and uh, is a mainstay at the Zanies uh, comedy clubs here in Chicago. And he's been doing comedy for 40 years. And he is the only other person, Vince Morento, is the only other person that I know that is as completely and insanely obsessed with the McRib as I am. Oh, wow. And like he'll take, he does the social media thing where he'll take a picture of the McRib that he has and he'll have, he'll have one every day. <laughs> so he posts on social media daily during McRib season how many McRibs he has. And he really, yeah. I, I think he has more than I do. I'm pretty sure that Vince has more than I do. Yeah, it sounds like he does. Yeah. I would be so. curious if the first McRib he has versus the last one tastes the same and the and and you know what it's funny because we judge the appearance like when you open up the container and you're like oh, it's a little mm-hmm. sloppy a little sloppy they didn't tell, yeah you know. well now is it even a container is it a wrapper no it comes in a, well no you know what uh no it still comes in a container yeah it's 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 paper now but oh, it used wow. to, back, back in the day it used to be styrofoam but now it's a paper container and you lift up the lid to look at your little mcrib oh, my. yeah it's a little mm-hmm. so I'm drooling now. I think, and I have a I have a McDonald's literally five minutes away from. It's a five minute walk. Well, there so you go. I believe that since we're we're actually taping this before November, but anyway, uh, when it actually <laughs> when it, when it, when McRib you'll be season, first in line. Yes, when this the episode second dro- breakfast turns over. <laughs> that's exactly right. I will be like Michael Douglas in Falling Down. Where? How come I can't get lunch? You know what I mean? I'll be. Where, I want my McRib. <laughs> I want my McRib now. Uh, but I won't pull out a gun and shoot the place up. I won't do that. So right, you know. I'm amazed that they haven't done like a breakfast McRib. Mm-hmm. I guess ribs aren't really breakfast food. Yeah, I guess not. Oh, I'd eat it. I'd eat it for bre- I'd eat it any time of day, any time of day. McRib is a fine, fine lunch for everybody. Fine breakfast yeah. for everybody. <laughs> so, all right. Well, there it is. It's McRib season, everybody. Uh, so we've got some celebrity um, rumors that we wanted to wrap up here. We've been doing this for about uh, three months now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we, in the last time we talked about it, we talked about how Michael J. Fox, they, everybody said, some people said that Jay, his middle name was Jello. Right. <laughs> yes. Which is, of course, yes. absurd. I don't know who's saying that, but someone I don't know. is. Uh, Gene Simmons had a cow tongue. That's another one that we talked about. And then that got us into bubble yum being made of, uh, spider eggs and uh yes and uh your friend uh, uh l- yes larry mountain was a- <laughs> larry mountain <laughs> you- uh, the ruiner of bubble yum <laughs> the ruiner of bubble yum that's what he's he forever ruined it. he ruined it for <laughs> bubble yum they had to spend so much money to to combat these rumors that larry mountain started <laughs> I love this man. I, I really I don't know where Larry is now. I hope he hears this and uh and understands that he ruined Bubble Yum for life. Yeah. <laughs> so but I thought we would we would um talk a little bit more about some of these because these rumors are some of them are hilarious. Are you ready for this one? Now I, I've never heard this one before. Now maybe you have. But this is an actual celebrity rumor that was like circulated around. Um Katy Perry is actually Jean Benet Ramsey. Right, yeah. I've no, heard you've heard one. you've heard that. Yeah. How? What? So what? What's the story behind? I mean, wh- well, I thought John John Benet Ramsey was killed, right? She was murdered. Uh, yes. But now but they're you saying know, that- there's always there's always the the people who are like, oh, she wasn't really 
Um, and it's Katy Perry. Because <laughs> people need to need, people need to escape their lives somehow. There, right. there seems to be like a huge thing where people just escape and and fake their deaths. I didn't realize. I, I say, I yeah. Really, it's so prevalent. <laughs> Especially somebody like Katy Perry. Like, if there's somebody who's, you know, like, like you, you think, like, somebody who fakes their death is going to be somebody who, like, works for the government secretly or is on a hit list or something. But Katy Perry exactly. has to, like, you know, or no, no, or John, John Benet Ramsey has to, like, she's a kid. She had to fake her <laughs> She had to fake her death. Right. Well, she was very popular. She was in all those. Um, oh, she was, she, the pageants, right. Yeah, she was a pageant queen. That's right. She was a pageant girl. That's so. right. But yeah, yeah. no, it, that is not true. It's not true. Katy Perry is not John Bonet Ramsey. Yes, unfortunately. Uh, uh, I didn't know that. And it was because she resembles her in some way. Is that why? I mean, because because it. Uh, I the, guess. Because because Katy Perry is very, uh, you know, very memorable eyes. So does she? Her eyes similar to John Bonet Ramsey? I don't. I don't remember. I guess. I guess that's what people kind of glommed onto that she kind of probably looks like her. Yeah. Okay. I, I had a friend, I had a, a, a friend of mine, a girl named Heather, is an actress um, who was with the Factory Theater, who was obsessed with the John Benet Ramsey thing, like obsessed mm. with it. And and now, oddly, shockingly, she watches all of those goddamn murder shows and those podcasts, you know, right? Watches, watches right, right, all right. of that stuff. And I know a lot of you know we've talked about this with Amy Guth that women particularly women watch those goddamn murder shows like the real life murder shows you know and and even the fake ones and for mm -hmm. some reason mm -hmm. the, for some reason the majority of the audience for those crazy ass real life murder shows are women and Amy Guth is like yeah man I can't stop watching them and my my friend Heather going dating back to the John Benet Ramsey thing she I remember her being obsessed with that like obsessed with that case and wanting to solve it herself <laughs> goodness yeah now were you ever i mean the, that would have been very neat if she could have solved it it would have I been mean, a lot of people a lot of there's been a, a few cases like that where it's been yeah. amateur sleuths who yeah. have uh figured it out yeah so um yeah man uh, but now have you ever gotten obsessed with that have you ever watched the, the, the is that kind of your thing no, the, the true I'm not crime a big no i'm not a big true crime person that kind of freaks me out mm -hmm. i mean they are real people who died <laughs> yeah um i haven't yeah i i don't get into it like that um yeah because you know all those shows have never i've never been into it you know like unsolved mysteries and all that kind of stuff no thank you <laughs> yeah well you were freaked out by the theme right of unsolved mysteries mm -hmm. I remember correctly well the theme and then just the idea that they'll sometimes be like and this murderer murdered all these people and is on the loose. Yeah. We need your help. It's like, uh -uh. Right. nope, yeah. I am not getting involved. So America's Most Wanted, not your not your cup of tea. No. Oh, my yeah. God. To Does, just think that, like, some wackadoos roaming around. No, thank yeah. you. I don't well, need that. What's really the interesting thing that I, that I find, like, uh, uh, relatively interesting and also very weird and amusing is the actors who are hired to do the reenactments – Mm -hmm. um, have often been mistaken by witness, by people who call up cops and go, I've seen the murderer. And then it just turns out to be the actor who played him in the reenactment. <laughs> re 
And so, like, these poor people, you know, these actors who are just earning not even scale to do these stupid reenactments on America's Most Wanted. So not only are they struggling actors who can't afford rent, but now they're getting arrested because they're playing real-life criminals who are on the lam, and people are identifying them mistakenly as the actual murderers. (laughs) Yeah. God. And that's happened several times. There have been, like, actors who are like, will you stop arresting me? I'm not the dude. I just did the stupid reenactment on the... Somebody called John. A lot what? of times, a lot of times are not even that um, similar. I know, I know. <laughs> but what what happens is, even if they don't look like him, and a lot of them, and you're absolutely right, a lot of them don't really look like, you know, the culprit. But because people are watching it, they, you know, they forget what the real person looks like, but they remember what the reenactment guy looks like, and they go, "Oh, he's the murderer." And a yeah. lot of people, I don't know if you know this or not, uh, um, Esmeralda. I think you're. I think you and I are aware of this acutely. You're a lot of people are fucking stupid. I don't know if you're. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah, you are correct. <laughs> the majority of human beings on this planet are fucking morons. That's pretty much. <laughs> and so, and the majority of those people watch Fox in the early days and would call. You know what I mean? So you have to take you have to take into account that the majority of people who watch Fox, because the majority of people on the planet are fucking idiots, that they're going to call up and identify some innocent guy actor. <laughs> but that just kills me. It's like you know you're str- like you're a struggling actor, and in addition to not being able to pay your rent, and you you know you blew your last audition, and you were up for a mm-hmm. part that you know you're up for a part that somebody else got, then you're getting thrown in jail. You know? <laughs> it just sucks, man. So. All right, how about this one? Surrey Cruz, we all know Surrey Cruz, mm-hmm. uh, is actually Chris Klein's daughter and not Tom Cruise's daughter. Now, I've never heard um, this one either. I've never heard that, and uh, that's just a flat-out lie. Only yeah. because those Tom Cruise jeans are <laughs> crazy strong. <laughs> Like, do you remember when that when those first pictures came out of her born and like a baby, a newborn? It was like, no, that's Tom Cruise's baby. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like a little mini Tom Cruise. It was. Yeah. yeah. And and oddly, when when Suri was born, she was actually climbing up the side of a building. Like as soon as she came out of the womb, she started. (laughs) She was climbing up the side of a building and if I remember correctly, she actually jumped out of the hospital window without a parachute. If I remember (laughs) correctly. Correctly. Sounds about right. Yes, yes. That's, that's definitely Tom Cruise's kid. <laughs> definitely Tom Cruise's kid. Um, yeah. So Surrey Cruise is so. Was there a what, okay? And I don't know the details to this. So was there a connection between Katie Holmes and Chris Klein? That did they make I think a they movie dated. together? They did. Oh, they dated. No, okay. they dated. Yeah. Oh, they, they did. dated for a while. Oh, they did. Okay. Now, now, did you know that she dated Jamie Fox? Uh yes, I didn't yeah, know that's that. Fairly recent, yeah. Yeah, no, that was that was like five years ago or something that they dated. It was like a secret. They didn't, you know, they ke- they kept it out of the tabloids or something. But now, for right. some reason, for some reason, now over the past like year, it's been. Hey, did you know that Jamie Fox dated? You know, dated. Yeah. Uh, uh, like, yeah, well, it's over now. So, <laughs> I guess it was like, did she wanted? Does she want to date everybody who was in? Uh, uh, who, who was in? Uh, uh, what the hell is the name of the movie with? Uh, like where he's the cab driver and, and Tom Cruise is the killer, uh, the Michael, Michael oh, Mann movie. Co- collateral. Yeah. Collateral. Yeah. Which is a fucking great movie. Um, but I guess she just was like, I think I want to date everybody in collateral. Is that what's, that's what's 
Maybe. I don't know. She That's had fine. a goal. Hell yeah. Good for her, man. Good for her. No, I didn't know that. But so Chris Klein dated. Uh, now, was this before or after Tom Cruise? Oh, it was before. It was before. Okay, so that's why they thought that. Oh, it was Tim, you know, Tom Cruise. And, okay. Yeah, it was before. Um, yeah. And I think they've been together for a while. They were together for a while. Okay, I didn't know that. Okay, so so okay, but it's not true because Surrey is definitely. They were. Yeah, they were together for years. Oh, they were. Okay. All right. Now, you remember when Tom Cruise was dating Penelope Cruz? Uh, vaguely. vaguely. Yeah. That was when they made uh, Vanilla Sky. They were dating. Um, oh, okay. And uh, so, so, so Penelope Cruz with with Tom Cruise, and I remember all the jokes was if they get married, she doesn't have to change her last name. <laughs> hey, you know. <laughs> oh, it's a different cruise. I know. That's where it's like, but it's different. It's different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in every possible way, it's different. But again, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, the majority of people in America are idiots. So, yeah. Yes. She wanted correct. to change her last name if she marries him. Really? She doesn't? Okay. Uh, all right. They, yeah, they're, they're pronounced the same, but they're completely different names <laughs> and completely different origins. So you might want to shut up. Um, but uh, but yeah, man, Penelope Cruz, you know, uh, she dated him, and you know who she went who who she dated after him. Before before she because she's with uh, Javier Bardem now, right? Aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's with Javier Bardem because they're like the, my two favorite people together. I think they're my favorite couple because I love them both so much. It makes me sick how much I love them both, <laughs> <laughs> and I love that they're like you know I love there are certain celebrity couples that I'm so happy that they're together. They yeah. might be they might be number one because I love both of those people so fucking much <laughs> that individually <laughs> individually they're so amazing and so goddamn cool that together it's like man how how does the world not implode because those two people are together you know what I mean God but she did you know who she went to after Cruzy who's that all right all right all right she dated oh, really the, yeah she dated the oh, McConaughey. Wow. And she did that goddamn movie with him, uh, that uh, Sahara. Oh, really? She was yeah. in that. She's in Sahara oh. with the with the McConaughey, and they were a thing at that time, and they were like hot and heavy. Interesting. So she had the celebrity. So she dated a lot of celebrities, man. Katie Katie Holmes, because she had the Chris Klein. I think she was with somebody else before Chris Klein. Um, somebody famous before Chris Klein, and then Chris Klein, then Tom Cruise, then uh, then. Uh, 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 then, then, uh, uh, wait, wait, hold on a second. No, now I'm getting all confused. I'm sorry. Penelope <laughs> Cruz, Penelope Cruz, mm-hmm. Tom Cruise, uh, and then, uh, uh, and then, uh, McConaughey and then somebody else and then Javier. Okay. Is, uh, but yeah, she was with McConaughey. Uh, I remember there was, they interviewed her cause she went on the, cause they did a big push on that movie on, on Sahara. Mm-hmm. Like it was supposed to be the big because I guess it's based on a, it's based on a series of books with an action adventure hero, and um, McConaughey bought the rights to the books. And they were going to make a whole series out of it, but Sahara most notably bombed. It was a huge bomb at the box office. Yeah, that um, yeah. <laughs> and it was because it wasn't good. Um, and uh, I remember I hosted a, a, a screening at Bruin View, one of my uh, Nick D show uh, screenings, and I did the McConaughey. It was going to be a McConaughey double feature because, you know, McConaughey is my man. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, I showed Daisy Confused because it's the greatest movie ever. And and then we were trying to get Rain of Fire. Have you ever seen Rain of Fire? 
with it's McConaughey no. and Christian no, Bale. Christian Bale. It's McConaughey and Christian Bale. It's a post-apocalyptic movie where they fight fucking fire-breathing dragons. This is long before Game of Thrones. Oh wow! And I was trying to get that because he rules in that movie. McConaughey. <laughs> he rules. He's like an insane dragon slayer named Van Zant, and he rule and he's bald and crazy in it. And um and so I, we couldn't get the print of it, so we had to show Sahara, and. Mm-hmm. I remember we watched, we had, we had Daisy Confused and then like Sahara, about 20 minutes into Sahara, I just started drinking, you know, even though I was host. Yeah. <laughs> and by the end of Sahara, nobody was left in the theater except me and about 20 other people. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. So Sahara. Anyway. All right. But Surrey Cruz is definitely Tom Cruise's kid. It's not Chris Klein's kid. Mm-hmm. I, and that's like, you don't have to just look at her. Yeah. It's insane you do not have to call it what's the name of the place for your dna testing what's the name of that place uh that everybody is going to now home village uh uh, uh, shit there's an actual like no 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 people are going for their like they send in their spit and they're getting like their oh 23 and me that's it 23 and me that's it yeah (laughs) you don't need to do the don't need to do the 23 and me to find out that surrey is actually not chris klein's kid yeah we don't need 23 and me it's all set. <laughs> so, well, we've settled that. Katy Perry is not John Ramsey, and Suri Cruz is not Chris Klein's kid. That's what we've. No. That's what we. No. That's what we've settled on the celebrity rumors. We are uh, dealing with some hot topics, hard hitting news. <laughs> exactly right. You want to get to the. You know People what? You don't know. Who, hear about this. I'll People tell you something. Do not want to hear that Suri Cruz is not Chris Klein's daughter. Right. They don't. We are here. We're here to break to that. Tell news. you the truth. Yeah, we're here to break it and tell yeah. you that, no, she's Tom Cruise's kid. You know, the only way that people would absolutely believe us to report this story is if we had Linda McLennan tell the story. <laughs> right, right. You know, I have a great, I have a, I have a longstanding love for her, so I have a longstanding connection with Linda McLennan. Maybe we can, uh, we can get her on that. So, anyway. There you go. All right. Well, uh, so there you go. We've settled that. We've still got a couple of more rumors hanging out there. We'll get to those at some point. Uh, and we'll do it uh, next time. Uh, and speaking of next time, um, uh, boy, Esmeralda, you got a long break because the next time that you're on, it's for the people. So, uh, oh so we've got a for the people episode. So you got a long break here, Esmeralda. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy being away from my stupid ass for a couple of weeks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for the people is the next episode. That's Tom Appel and Herb Weissbaum. Herb Weissbaum has all your consumer issues. Tom Appel covers all your car issues. If you have any questions for those guys uh, for our uh, for the people episode, you send them. Uh, you can leave them as a voicemail at 773-417-6948, or you can send them as an email at nickdpodcast at gmail.com and any other comments for the show. If you want to be a sponsor, check us out, sales at radiomisfits.com. Jason Skaggs does all the music and the sounds. Ed Sella does everything else. He's a great guy. Couldn't do it without the people at Radio Misfits. Rate and review us on every platform, and we'll see you next time uh, on the Nick D Podcast. <laughs>